Felicity, welcome to Conscious Contemplation. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Can't wait to get to know you and all the amazing things you've been up to. I saw you on someone's story for the Young Achiever Award. Congratulations. Thank you. That's If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have known about you and all your amazing work. So tell everyone what you're up to. Yeah, so I started when I was 17 when I published my autobiography, Not Held Down. And then it kind of just flowed from there. created my advocacy company last year, launched it, called Fostering Change Australia. And basically just spend my days advocating for change in the child protection system. I'm able to work with other young people who are amazing advocates as well. And we just meet with agencies. I've been able to meet at schools and talk to teachers about how they can support kids in care in their classrooms. And yeah, just yeah, and then doing conferences and apparently winning awards. <laughs> just casually. So how was the process of writing your autobiography? It was healing a lot of the mostly um, being able to write down. It started when I was 15, just writing down my thoughts. Um, and then I decided I wanted to write a book and I wanted to help other kids in care know that they're not alone and that someone out there understands in some sort of way. Obviously, I don't understand everyone's story or exactly what they've gone through, but I understand how it feels to be in the system. And then I decided, oh, I'm not. I'm not old enough. Maybe I'll wait until I'm in my 20s because I'm only 15, 16. I I can never publish a book because I'm only young. Um, And then a placement fell down and I had to move to Adelaide from my regional hometown. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should look into publishers. Even if I don't do it until I'm 20, I can still, in my 20s, I can still look. Um, And I wasn't really, like, I was upset for moving because I was leaving family and friends but I had this sense that it was meant to be and, like, I don't know, yeah, I just had that piece that this was what's going to, what's supposed to happen. I emailed a couple of publishers, had to go through making sure I don't get scammed, so Google reviews really helped with that. Um, and then I met, yeah, these publishers in Adelaide and I decided why not do it now because we're not too young to do what we want and what we feel like doing. So I, yeah, I started the process. It was hard. There was a lot of me writing my things that did trigger me a bit and it took me time and it took me patience and making sure to put me first as well. It's not as detailed as I hope it can be. I'm hoping to write a, like a sequel to be more detailed because I was still in care. So there was a lot of things I wasn't allowed to write about that now I can. Mm, okay. um, so whether I write a sequel or just keeps voicing because most of the time people can't, they can try and turn down your book, but they can't turn down your voice. Yeah. Wow. So where was your regional town that you moved uh, from? Air Peninsula. So Port Lincoln, lived in Tumby Bay as well. And yeah, just around those areas. Yeah, and then coming to Adelaide, how did that feel? Such a transition, totally yeah, different environment. Scary um being in a city. Like I visited Adelaide. It's only forty minutes flight and an eight hour drive. So I've been to Adelaide as holidays, but yeah, scary trying to like sort out public transport, the busyness of the city. I definitely like the country more and I definitely plan to move to a country town. Um definitely not back to my hometown, but hopefully somewhere one day. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So what does your day-to-day life look like now? You said you have your own advocacy company, yeah, which is called Fostering Change. So what do you do day-to-day to kind of, like, what does it look like for you? Uh, it's very quiet at the moment. Being only new, I don't 
have that much. I basically stay home a lot of the time. Um, I have a couple of meetings here and there, interviews and stuff, and some public speaking, but, yeah, I haven't gone out there as much as I hope that I can. And it's about reminding me that myself that I'm only new into the advocacy. I've only, my company's only new. Some days it's sad because I, like, I want to go out there. I want to speak. I want to advocate. I want to go to whoever listens. I want to go to companies. I want to go to schools. But, yeah, I think it's about reminding myself that it's not because I'm bad at my job, but it's because I'm only new and so yeah. I'm still learning my role in an advocate. I'm still um, doing education. I study every Thursday for community service, um, Cert 3. So it's about just building the connections, I think, at the moment, trying to meet as many people as possible. Definitely with this award ceremony, um, winning the award, I've had a couple of people wanting to meet with me, obviously, um, you being one of them. Mm-hmm. And- yes. Uh, interviews and stuff so that's been nice and hopefully that will lead to more speaking and more advocacy yeah and you have that fire inside of you like you know why you're here you know what change you want to create it's just like a matter of time and I always believe like the universe doesn't give us more than we can handle so like at the same as me like when I was first building up my business I was like I'm ready for so much more like yeah to me and then it didn't come And then I like would have something really big happen in my personal life like the week later and I'd be like, thank God I don't have anything booked. Like I don't have the mental capacity for this. So trust all the timing. And it's about like when you do do something like this, you're like, I want to do so much things. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I think I've learned and I'm still learning that if we start off big, sometimes that's when companies and programs and projects crash because you really need to do those small steps and take it slow first and then the big stuff will come. But I don't think if I did a public speaking like every day of every week, I don't, I think I'd burn out quickly because I don't have those first um, foundation. Like I need to set that foundation up first. So it's about creating that routine. I'm still trying to create that routine of like, do I have a day off for myself and like do work every other day? But I tried that at the start of the year, but there wasn't enough work for me to do every other day to have that break. So -hmm. it's about routine, um, making sure I go to therapy for my own mental health as well, getting a good psychologist and just really putting in that foundation before creating big. And that's why I'm doing education. That's why I'm going back. I dropped out of school year 10, I think. And that didn't stop me. Like I'm still being able to do courses and stuff. So really building my own knowledge as well as my lived experience and that foundation is so important to do those small steps first. Yeah. And you can trust the timing now because the hardest thing for people, like I said before, is just finding what are you wanting to change and create. So you're on the right path and it will happen. So can you please tell us a bit about your story going all the way back to the beginning? I'd love to hear. So I was born in Port Pirie um, and I actually got my DCP file, so when you're in care, when you're 18, you can um, ask for your case file. So they basically have your car report, so child abuse reports. Um, they have why you're taken into care, things that happened. And, yeah, so it turned out we lived in Melrose, so I learned that um, for a couple of months, I think, and then we moved to Port Lincoln. I've got two older sisters. Mum and Dad split when I was two, I think. Um, Dad moved back to another state. And then, yeah, it got really, like, my mum had a lot of disability, so she had um, cerebral palsy, a couple of strokes, which really made it hard for her to look after us. So she, yeah, she neglected us, unfortunately, a lot of the time and let not safe people into the house and stuff. So there was a lot of abuse and neglect going on to the point where, yeah, I think it was like 23 car reports before we finally got taken into care. 
But I've heard stories of kids who've had 100 reports and still, like, took forever to get them in care and stuff. So that's definitely something that needs to change. Um, but unfortunately, DCP are, like, Department of Child Protection, they're very backlogged and I can respect that and understand that they are busy. But, yeah, that was really hard. And then I lived with a foster family for seven years. My sister Do you know, left. like, the average statistic of how many reports it is? Or we're just guessing it's, like, over 30 would you say most um, of the time? So I don't know for, like, a general. I'm not sure. Um, like, on my files it just would say, like, 23 car reports, blah, blah, blah. But, I, yeah, I don't know what the average would be until they finally – I find that, like, even on the news and stuff, I find that DCP kind of push neglect to the side more. They are like, oh, they're just like living in squalor, so they're not too bad off or, you know, where they really focus on physical abuse and sexual abuse, which is just as bad. But I think they forget the ones that are neglected and they're the ones, they're the cases that really fall through the cracks. We had like, I think last year, a couple of years ago, there was an eight-week-old baby that died because he was neglected and in like a house that was messy and, you know, not safe and clean, mm. but he was falling through the cracks. So I think I, from what my own experience, I think neglect is definitely something that does fall through the cracks more, which sucks and is horrible. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not sure about how many car reports. I don't even yeah, know. How no, many- that's a good point though about neglect. So true. Like I guess the things that we are more sensitive to is definitely the sexual abuse and then the physical because you can see it it's like yeah, hard to ignore you can't see emotional and that 100 mm-hmm. yeah so i did live with an awesome family seven years we're still in contact um i lived with my so my eldest sister she moved with dad when she was 12 i think i'm not sure I'm not sure why we didn't move with dad um and then my other older sister and i we went into care she left after I think six years, um, and then I left after seven um, because it wasn't really a fault of anyone. Um, there was a lot of death in that family, and we was going through a lot. And they had um, two special needs kids that I think they like that was really draining on them as well. So it was better off that we left. And I was thirteen, so I was going through those early teenage years of being rebellious and losing trust, I guess. So I left, and then. Can I stop you there? Sorry, I'm I'm lost. So your older sister went to live with your dad? Yeah. But did you kind of keep in contact with her or? Not at all, yeah. Um, Again, not sure why. Don't, yeah, that's like. Do they, in in care, do they like kind of want you to keep in contact with your family? Like do they say like this person's going here, here, like this is your way to communicate? Yeah, um, I don't. I know now they do. I'm not sure back then. I don't remember anyone ever like asking me if I wanted to be in contact with that sister. I'm not sure if she just chose not to be in contact with us. Yeah, I'm really not sure. I know that is a massive thing now. Um, working with Create Foundation, which is an Australia wide advocacy company for kids in care, they do sibling days where it's like an event. They go to bounce or something, and all the siblings get to come together and see each other. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure why I wasn't contact yeah I'm not sure um but yeah I did obviously yeah went in care with my other sister but she did end up moving back to live with mum when she was 16 I think so we did have contact with her then it was a bit of a couple of years of a break but we did get to start having that relationship with her Mm -hmm. um so that was nice yeah okay yes continue (laughs) yeah so (laughs) um, I left yeah that family 
after seven years went into emergency care so that's where when you leave a placement or kids are taken into care emergently they go into another family foster family but it's I think a maximum of three weeks or something before they find the new family they couldn't find me a family so I went into this uh youth homeless shelter kind of thing so it was for teenagers who don't like who have left their families struggling with homelessness and it was basically the shelter with other teenagers can I stop you there again um so is that in the city that no no this is still back in Port Lincoln yeah so um in Port Lincoln like when they take like you move back and were you ever in, in a house with like other um teens or were they always trying to find families for you because I know there are like houses where it's just all kids and like a couple of DCP workers yeah so they do try and find families um and they try and put you with family members so that's kinship care but yeah if all else fails they basically put you in residential care or different types of group homes which I did live in when I moved to Adelaide um yeah how do you remember feeling back then like can you describe that process like I can't even imagine with the group home or the homeless shelter just that whole process of the moving and it was knowing where you were going yeah it was definitely like it took a toll on me because I really felt unwanted um and I didn't know what was happening um and it really struggled with my school because I couldn't concentrate at school because I didn't know, yeah, where I was going to end up in that night or if anyone was going to foster me and stuff. So, yeah, definitely scary. Um, but I lived in the homeless shelter alone for two months with just the workers before we had other clients. So I built a pretty good relationship with those workers, which was nice. Yeah. So you didn't move schools? You stayed at the same school through all Around the that time I did, but in yeah. a few years later, like a couple of years later, I did end up moving schools as well, yeah. Mm, you must have great skills in like that are helping you now with like the public speaking and everything because of how many environments you've had to adapt yeah. to. Yeah, definitely. Like that's one good, one good thing about being in foster care, I think, because Growing up as a kid, I was around special needs. My mum was just, like had disabilities, so I had that very like strong empathy for people with disabilities and stuff, and like you know that love for them. And then I lived with a single parent who was like just getting by, like probably then she wasn't like the wealthiest person, but she also wasn't the poorest person. And then the first of family, they were pretty well off, so I kind of had those different like situations where I was able to live with someone who didn't have as much and did have as much and then people mm. in the middle as well so really like the lower class middle class and high class definitely and I guess that's what's put you ahead of your years in a way it's like you've just seen so many you know like how some parents can really shelter their children like yeah. so they they're not able to fully witness yeah, like, like the parents <laughs> yeah different kind of personalities different yeah. kind of socioeconomic systems even like, cultures and stuff yeah cultures yeah so yeah. you've really in your like fundamental years of developing yeah. had so many different environments yeah which I'm so grateful. definitely taught me so much you know and like I was able to learn those independent skills because there's some kids that they don't know how to cook or clean or look after themselves. And I did, like, as a young kid, being with my first boss family, they taught us how to cook. They taught us how to, like, do our own washing. We did our own washing at a certain age. And being in the homeless shelter, we had to cook our own meals and stuff, and they taught us. So I was really grateful for those. They Like, as horrible and traumatic as some of those situations were and those life experiences were, definitely learned a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Is there anything along your journey that is, do you think still something you're working through or do you think like by writing your book, by now being an adult, like you've totally been able to accept and truly like let go of anything that was. Yeah, no, I've definitely got a lot to go through. Like I don't think you go through childhood trauma and then get fixed right away, you know, like as much as I try and be a strong advocate and upfront in, in my professional life, definitely still have so many demons I'm fighting and going to therapy and trying to keep fighting. Um, yeah, still struggling mental health and suicide ideation and stuff, but there's days where I'm great and I'm doing better. And then there's definitely the dark days. I struggle a lot with like mother's day, father's day and Christmas because they're the most family days. Um, and yeah, so like seeing those families, you kind of get sad because you're like, Oh, I don't have that. I definitely have people in my life that I see as family, but you never like, you always long for that that own your own parents and your own family no matter how many people in your life that are family yeah so yesterday was mother's day and um I actually ran a group event for a group of 20 year olds and it was like a just a woman's circle to like bond and connect and heal anything that's been on their minds and one of the girls there was saying like she just was so emotional that day and hurting and feeling all the grief because she did lose her mom a couple of years yeah. ago and like I've lost my dad and like it's just crazy like how many people out there actually struggle struggle like I would say it's more struggle than don't yeah oh yeah 100% um last night I did a game tonight with a couple of friends which was nice um I think this year like this mother's day was probably the first year that I didn't feel that upset like I still had that sadness but it wasn't as bad and bold as it normally is. So I hope that that's the first step of healing and I'm hoping that that means that I'm actually on that mend. I'm sure there'll be bad days and stuff for sure. Um, and that's why I, I did a school speech at the start of the year with teachers and one thing I did say to them was changing the vocabulary of Mother's Day and Father's Day to special people day, like special friends day and stuff, because so many kids either live with two mums, two dads, one parent, foster families, group homes, like, you know, there's so many different types of families now that I think there is that need for that change. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great thing to tell teachers. I think that would help a lot. And, you know, like there's so many name-changing things going around the world at the moment. Yeah, like Our world always, is changing, you know, generation yeah. changing. And it won't hurt anyone to change something so simple, even if it's just changing in schools and not in society, you know, it's just schools changing it because I don't... That's I can't the most important place, isn't it, yeah, exactly. in schools because that creates our society as they grow older. And like I still wrote Mother's Day cards for my mum and for my foster carers, but, like, yeah, you know, there's other kids that don't have parents or, you know, yeah, like I said, same-sex parents or grandparents, and I just can't imagine how... I think for me it would have been not so much like if I had to change who I'm writing it for or anything, but just to if someone actually said as a teacher, they actually told the class there are people in this room that don't have a mom, don't have a dad. Like I acknowledge you if you want to make it for someone else, like don't be ashamed to do that. Like as simple as that, but I think it was just the whole brushing over thing and you just like feel awkward about your situation yeah exactly as a child you don't realize how everyone's got you know issues 
no one's not got issues incredible yeah like, he was so on board with it, and they're like I never thought of that like and they were just an awesome school to talk to it was my first ever teachers like um advocacy speaking group and they were just awesome yeah yeah and the fact that now like you're giving back is going to help with all those days and I think that's maybe why it doesn't feel as big because you've yeah. you've turned the pain into like yes for your future yeah. so yeah thank you yeah and you're going to change so many lives so definitely keep doing you hope yeah even if it's like just to change one like I've got a tattoo of a starfish I don't know if you've ever heard the starfish story no please tell me the I starfish story really so it's this little girl who was throwing starfish on the beach so the beach was covered in starfish and this old man goes up to her and goes why are you doing this and she's like to save the starfish and he goes there's so many on the beach, you're not going to save them all. And she's like, well, I saved this one. Like, it matters to this one. So it's like that reminder of you can make a difference even if it's to just one. And I wanted it, always wanted it tattooed and finally got it tattooed last year, a couple of days before my company launched to remind me that I don't need to change the world or I don't need to change the whole Department of Child Protection. But if I can change someone's narrative to their story, I can and I will. Mm, beautiful. I saw a starfish the other day at the beach and I was so tempted to pick it up, but then I, I was like, no, I'm not I'm not going because I think it actually will probably kill it if I pick it up. So I was like, I'll leave it there. I haven't, I haven't seen starfish in this city ever, but, like, when I was back in Port Lincoln and going to Coffin Bay and stuff, oh, I used to love seeing starfish everywhere. I actually really miss it. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to go down the Air Peninsula soon. It's been a while, so... Definitely. And I totally relate on like wanting to move back into the country. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll find a way to like do your work there when the time's right as well. Yeah. my One of my dreams especially is country towns and stuff because I know how deprived it is of support services for anything, for mental health or, you know, healthcare. It's, country towns have always been so isolated for supports. And I think like DCP and like child protection was one of the massive ones for me. And that's definitely one of my like passions is to help educate and change the supports for them. And did you notice like the big difference between education as well, like from the country to here on like all the things that we need to change? Like you've, you know, enlightened some teachers about, okay, Mother's Day, um, maybe just address the class in a different way to cater everyone's like situation. Probably no one in the country will hear that for like another five years. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I feel like it's those little things that are yeah. so behind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, no, that would be awesome. So that's one of your dreams. Is there anything else that you're working on at the moment? You might publish another sequel to your book. You're going to schools. You want to do rural work. Is there anything else in the cards? I've published a book already this year. Um, it's not out yet. I'm hope I'm trying to work out why it's not getting on Amazon and stuff, but that's hopefully soon. I'm planning the launch once I find venues. Um, but basically, obviously one day I want to be Australia wide, probably won't be for another couple of years, but I think just continue advocating and doing what I do. It's just, yeah, just doing what I do. What's your children's book called? Oscar's Layers. Oh, what's the title mean? Um, so it's about an onion that goes to a foster family and he goes through bullying, trying to like feeling unwanted. And every time he lets an adult help him with his big feelings, a layer falls off. So that's, really that's so great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. It's really for all kids. Like, it. Yeah. 
ask for help and that asking for help is brave, but it's also for those kids that know how scary it is to go from home to home and just feeling understood. Mm, yeah, amazing. Where can everyone find you? Uh, on social media. So I've got the Fostering Change Australia Instagram and Facebook and I've got my author account, which is just Felicity Official, I think. Um, on Facebook it's spelled wrong because for some reason it won't let me edit it so official is that happened to mine yeah on and facebook let me edit it at all yeah. so now official is wrong and i haven't had too many messages saying oh by the way it's spelled wrong <laughs> don't spell wrong but it won't let me change yeah um, people probably LinkedIn. don't even notice yeah most yeah people. and linkedin felicity graham as well yeah the thing i love about you from speaking to you is so refreshing because you know you'll have some people that want to be a public speaker they want to be an advocate and they feel like they have to just come up on the stage or on a podcast with this mask on of this front of everything's perfect now like and you're just like real and raw you're like look this is what's happening for me I'm sure it will change but you're not afraid to tell people where you're at and I think that is so genuine and refreshing yeah I try to like there's some days that I'm like oh I have to pretend to be professional and like pretend I'm okay but I think that's where we go wrong because so many people who think that they have to put that facade on when they're professionals they they struggle alone and they don't ask for help because they're like no no I I can't ask for help because I'm this person I'm I need to be this person and I want I try and want to change that for other people and you know some days I pretend to be okay but yeah I try (laughs) And I think mm-hmm. that's all done that as if we try. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you have a favourite quote before we go? Um, I don't know. Thinking music. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what my favourite quote would be. Or like a motto maybe might be easier. Motto. I think at the moment, and I realise I said it a lot on stage last week, was stay true to you Mm. because my ex-mentor, she used to always, and I think she still does every now and then, will say it to me, like, if I'm about to see my biological family and I'm really scared or about to do something that really scares me, she'll always be like, stay true to you, stay true to yourself, and that really helped me. Um, I really want to get it tattooed on me as well, but that really helped me a lot, and I caught myself saying it a lot on stage, and I think at the moment that's been my main one is just stay true to you and, like, keep speaking your truth. Yeah, so good. If everyone did that, we would have such a different world. So thank you for promoting that message. Stay true to you. Yeah, love it. All right, thank you so much for the chat. Thank you.